Jim morning or afternoon or evening or whatever fucking day it is and time it is. What's up, everybody? I want to break down six things that you can be doing to prevent injury, uh, bulletproof the body, recover better, however we want to name it. I'm still trying to figure out what to name this email, but I put six things together, and I'll probably ramble on a little bit more today as usual and get into a little bit more detail than I did the email. Um, but <clears throat> kind of how this podcast idea started for me this week is we've had a few members that have come in with, I would say injuries. We have one person that had like a, like a torn ligament that happened a year ago in a shoulder, a couple shoulder, like people bothering them, people talking about back pain. So I kind of wanted to just dive a little bit deeper. Um, I personally, a little backstory when I started functional lifestyles and kind of the whole intentionality behind the program and what I wanted to focus on, which is kind of the workouts in general. I came from a very CrossFit-ish style background with my style of training with strength and conditioning. And I personally, almost 11 years ago now, maybe 10 years ago, went through a serious back injury that 18 months later led to a right knee injury. Um, and I personally have been dealing with this for well over a decade. Um, a decade ago was really, really serious, but I kind of on and off. I've always lightweight, had some just sensitivity towards the lower back. And then obviously after the injury, it became really bad. So... I wanted to make this to kind of be more focused on obviously recovery, but ideally kind of talking a little bit more specific to injury prevention and injury rehab and the things that you need to understand when you're kind of training your body and the things that come with it. You know, when you look at training, one thing that a lot of us forget is the higher the intensity and the higher the volume of training becomes, the more the recovery needs to follow suit, right? So these things kind of work in equilibrium with each other. Um, well, a perfect plan would be, I mean, because over time, if your volume and your intensity of training becomes too high and your recovery is actually not keeping up with it, you're either going to run yourself into burnout, you're going to plateau, you're going to fatigue, you're going to injure yourself, um, or a whole list of problems that can, can you know follow suit from there. So obviously trying to keep this more specific to injuries because that's kind of where the whole idea originated from this week is what I'll try to kind of keep more of the topic of conversation surrounding. Um, and I also want to open it up more with kind of just workout intentionality and the things that you can be doing when you are inside of the gym, right? So because there's a, a good question someone brought up the other day is obviously the less that I work out, the less chance of injury. And I'm like, well, that you know, that is true. But that's a whole different set of problems that will become from your health because you're just skipping your workouts altogether. So obviously we want to keep exercise a part of this protocol and a part of your program. But the question is, how do I take myself from twice a week to three to four to five to, you know, whatever, how many times a week your frequency is? And how do I add volume? And how do I add strength? And how do I add speed? And how do I add all these things over time without running into boredom, with still seeing progress, without running into injuries, without our body kind of being nagging the whole time? Because at the end of the day, one thing that we have to remember with goals is it comes back to feeling good, right? Like if you don't feel good, it does not matter how many abs are showing. If you don't feel good, it doesn't matter how much weight you put on the bar to squat. If you don't feel good, it doesn't matter how fast your 40 time is. Like at the end of the day, we hopefully want to address feeling good being kind of our big core mission statement behind what we do for our health, right? Um, and in return, obviously, all these other things kind of follow in suit. So number one, to kind of open up the conversation, and this is something I did today, this week on Instagram, was don't skip warm-ups and don't skip cool-downs. This is the most skipped most underrated thing that I think people just go into the gym and they do this half-ass fucking warm-up, 
get straight into the workouts, start getting into the fun stuff of working out. And then when it comes to the cool down, it's a three minute stretch like today, for example, and people will do a minute and they take off. Um, and something that I'm trying to become better at as a business owner and as a coach myself is making sure that we're setting the standard, right? Um, I personally, when I work out, I set my schedule for two hours. So even though I might only be working out for active workout time, maybe 45 minutes to an hour, I like to take my time warming up. I like to take my time to really address and feel my body of where it's at with that current day. And then at the same thing at the end with the cool down, not just doing one stretch, you know, doing a little soft tissue if I need, doing a little breath down regulation work, doing something that, you know, requires three, four, five, six, seven stretches, doing these things for a long time, right? So to quickly go over, you know, the importance of a warm up and a cool down, and even though they're in the same bucket, how they're still separate, the whole concept of a warm up is it's in the name, right? It's like, it's based around getting the body warm and getting the nervous system prepped for movement or activity. So we think about light cardiovascular work or aerobic work, and then we think about some dynamic stretching. We think about maybe a little bit of soft tissue. I personally don't like a lot of soft tissue in a warm up because I think it's almost more down regulating in a sense for some people. Um, and also it's just like, we want to get your body kind of fired up and moving, right? So dynamic stuff, ballistic movements, plyometric movements, you know, thing, body weight exercise, whatever, just get your body moving and grooving for whatever you're about to do that day. Um, you know, and this could be, there's a bunch of different podcasts I can make out of just today. So I'm not going to try to get too into the details and nuances of everything today, but your warm up should be very specific for what you're doing that day. Right. And your warm up can be the exercise that you're doing at a very lightweight and do that enough times until your body feels good. But you remember, like, so let's take today, for example. Today we're doing squats. So if I'm doing something like squats, I can start with very simple stuff of, like, a lightweight run, some general dynamic stretching, and then maybe go straight into some bodyweight squats. You have to use your exercise as your diagnostic tool for how you feel that day. So, for example, if I do some bodyweight squats and I'm starting to feel like, hmm, my knees feel a little sensitive today or, hey, my ankles feel stiff, that's something that I immediately go, cool, let's address it, let's work on it. And then let's come back to the squat and then reassess and reassess and reassess, right? So you want to use your movements as diagnostic tools, right? Um, and I think in my industry, a lot of trainers and coaches are really, they overlook this. We do a lot of movement assessments when we first work with clients, but we forget that every single exercise and movement that you do in the gym can be a diagnostic tool inside of itself. So remember that don't skip your warm-up. And what I mean by don't skip your warm-up is, number one, show up on time. People show up late. They're on their phones. They're kind of going through this half-ass, like, lateral line. You know, they're, they're rushing through it. Take the time to put the intentionality in everything that you do with your warm-up and add some freaking intensity to it, right? Like, go through full range of motion. Go through challenging positions. Go through things that actually make you sweat and make it a little hard to breathe. You know, pick up the intensity a little bit. Pick up the speed of what you're doing sometimes even, whatever the warm-up might be. Because we want to get your body warm, right? You know, one thing that I was working on with a remote client of mine this week is he's having trouble just going to the gym. So I told him, I was like, your homework is just to go. Even if you go there and you walk and you do 10 minutes of warm-up, you turn around and go home, I'm going to look at that as a win. Because I need you to build the habit of at least getting there. Um, but if you do this kind of boring half-ass workout where you sit down, roll out your calves, Instagram, roll out your other calves. You know, do some lightweight stuff. You're not ever going to get the energy that I want from it. Like we want to wake up the body in the system, but the cool down is the exact opposite, right? Once again, in the name, but you have to remember when it comes to exercise, exercise is a very sympathetic response, meaning it is a stressful event for the body, right? And it's acute as long as it's recovered well from it. 
So, and this would be something that's actually another number down in today's list. So the cool down is really meant to downregulate the body. Because if you're someone that goes from a really intense workout to going straight back home and sitting in a chair, that's going to make problems worse in itself, right? Like, so we want to take the time to focus on breath, bringing the heart rate back down, doing stretches that take one, two, three, four, even five minutes per stretch, working on the areas that you felt more sensitive, spending time on the areas that you know you're a little bit tighter on and not rushing it, right? Um, you know, obviously there could be limitations on schedules for some people, but I want to look at just a general population and a general rule. Um, there is a lot of waste. There's a lot of wasted time and a lot of things that we do in life. So giving yourself an extra 10 minutes, you know, three times a week to do some extra cooldown stretches pays off tremendously. And it really is not that much extra time, right? So doing the cooldown and doing a warmups are they're they're built into the program for a reason and they're such an essential vital piece to recovery and injury prevention um and all these things that we do because there's so many people a lot of people that i work with on injuries these are the people that show up right when the class starts and they're putting their phone down they're getting settled in they're putting their shoes on or whatever it is um they go through a very lightweight half-assed warm-up they skip the cooldown, and it's like yeah of course your body's going to start to break down over time because you're only doing the things that are breaking the body down and you're skipping all your restoration work, right? Um, and news flash for everybody. This is one thing I like to use this as a car example. You know, for me, it's like I have a 1969 Camaro at home and I have the 2019 Jeep that I drive. The Jeep, I can start up and almost go if I wanted to. The Camaro, it requires me warming up for 10 minutes just to get the thing not to stall. You know, and as we get older, obviously, you know, maybe not all of you are 1969 Camaros, but like, Remember that your body needs more time to kind of get prepped, right? Kelly Starrett wrote a book called Supple Leopard, which is basically a whole concept that like animals in nature wake up and just run if they need to, or if they're getting chased by something, they have the ability to go do something at high intensity from sitting down. But these are people that actually have a diet that's aligned with nature. These are people that are moving, not people, these are animals that are moving all day. And there's so many other factors that we're not doing as a modern day human. So you can't act like you're a 19 year old all the time right like as we get older don't skip those things right so that's number one number two is then looking at actual you know structure of programming and making sure you're being smart with what you do right um i will tell you one thing personally as a coach that like you know programming is kind of our art form with what we do here for a living and uh programming for group training actually is very difficult because not everyone is coming the same amount of days a week. So I have some people that are coming twice a week and I have some people that are coming five days a week. I have to make up workouts difficult enough for the twice a week people to actually get enough from it. But I also have to have the programs, you know, structured smart enough where I'm not overtraining the people that are coming five days a week. Um, I personally, myself, for the last four months have done the class workouts and I love the structure that it provided me because for a while my workouts kind of started to fall in this rut of just kind of doing a little bit of what I felt that day and just not really having any structure. Um, but this is a huge piece, right? Is you have to look at your programming. When I look at programming and I think I wrote about, you know, this is maybe two or three weeks ago, how we program. I look at patterns, right? Hinge work, squat work, push work, pull work, twist work, lunge work, gait, um, and making sure I'm not doing a lot of the same things over and over and over again, right? So I don't want to hinge every single day, right? Or I don't want to do the same maybe pattern of motion with a lot of volume or a lot of intensity. So I personally have been on squat programs where we squat three, four, five days a week, but it's loaded differently, right? It's not the same reps with the same volume at the same percentage of weight. They're structured in a way 
where I can still progressively overload the body without taxing it and breaking it down. And even then, it still comes with its deload phases, right? So when you look at programming, this could be for running, this could be for weightlifting, you have to really, A, this is why I recommend so many people get a coach or at least get a program that's structured for them because most people just repeat the same shit over and over and over again in the gym. Um, and that will lead to boredom and lack of results and possibly injury from overload. So in order for us not to, you know, overload the body too much you also have to be smart with it there is a couple people in this gym if you're listening to this you know who you are that still show up and they'll come do some one rep deadlifts and then they'll come back to class three hours later that's an easy way for your body to be overloaded too fast and here's another news flash most people sit on their butt for a living almost 18 hours a day 16 hours a day between riding a bike or sitting on the couch, or sitting at the desk, or watching TV, or sitting at the dinner table. Oh, and then I lay down and go to bed. So a lot of people are just not moving anymore. And this is actually a whole separate number, so I won't go in too much detail here. Um, but your programming has to be smart, and it has to be intentional once again. Like, you have to make sure that you're not doing too much of the same thing, and not skipping these patterns of motion, and giving the ideal, like, rep and set, and intensity, and volume, and frequency kind of you know, planning it out throughout the week. So if you were to look at your program a little bit more in the macro, it makes sense without overloading too much, right? Because there needs to be some level of progressive overload, but not too much stimulus with volume and intensity over time, because you will wear down those patterns of motion because there's not adequate recovery. Um, and once again, this is something you'll hear me say a lot in today's podcast, as the training volume increases, as the exercise increases in intensity and volume, so should the recovery. I mean, this is the biggest difference, I think, between professional athletes and general population. You know, professional athletes get paid to use their body, and they they do things at a very, very high level, right? So if you were to think about any sport or even like CrossFit, I mean, that's the, the sport of training itself. These guys at a professional level are doing three or four hours a day of training. But they're also doing soft tissue work, massage, cold bath, sauna, you know, like all anything and everything that you can do to think about recovery work, they are doing because it has to. And even then, by the time they get done with the CrossFit Games, guess what they do? Most of them take some time off and drop the intensity and volume by a lot. So think about giving yourself deload phases. Think about giving yourself days off on the days you're not feeling 100%, right? Think about making sure that your program is not doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then remember that the goal is not to set PRs by a lot, right? When we think about progressively overloading, you know, one thing I was telling a client this morning as she was squatting, I was like, what did you do last week? She said, okay, 155. And I was like, okay, well, then don't go up by 20 pounds this week. Maybe let's just go up by 5 or 10 um, and kind of humble yourself every once in a while. Like, trust the program in the macro that by the time you finish it, you will get all this progressive overload that we want, and you'll get to that end strength goal versus trying to jump as much as we can and really go 100% by feel because training at a really, really high intensity is one of the easiest ways to break down the body, right? And when you think about this with running, right? Running, there's kind of zone training, zone one, two, three, four, and five, zone five being 90 to 100%, zone four being 80 to 90, et cetera. So generally, when you look at building an aerobic capacity, you want to hang out in zone two, zone three, sometime every once in a while you get to the zone four. And when you have those races, sure, maybe that's where you kind of pick it up a little bit and that's where you kind of creep into the zone five work every once in a while. That's threshold training. But for the most part, you're staying at zone two and zone three and you're trusting the program, right? So you have to have faith in the long term with your training versus always just going by feel and being very acute with someday I skip, someday I go 100%, today I'm going to do one rep. Um, you know, if the program says triples and says fives or says whatever the rep scheme is, like stick to it. 
Stick to the stick to the weights. Stick to the reps. Stick to the sets. Stick to the rest. Stick to all those things to really trust the program, right? So that's number two. Uh, another one I should have probably wrote this down because I had this all in an email. Uh, another one I'll just kind of go off the top of my head here was the stress management one, right? Which is understanding that your body, when it's training, is a sympathetic response. It's taking stress into a certain extent. Um, and if you are stressed out psychologically or physiologically outside of the gym as well, you're actually in a sense digging a deeper hole and you're never allowing your body to get into this parasympathetic state in order to actually be able to recover. Um, so when you look at training, you also have to match that to your lifestyle because what's going on mentally and emotionally in your body is going to show up physically. Right. And a lot of trauma, a lot of fear, a lot of stress that actually does show up as physical stress in your body, your tissue and your energy, like everything. It holds that energy there. So when it comes to training and it comes to injury prevention, you also have to look at a lot of the lifestyle factor stuff, which is managing your stress outside of the gym. The less stressful you are outside of the gym, the faster your body recovers from the stuff that you're doing inside of the gym. The more stressed out you are with work and life and relationships and everything else, the less likely it is for your body to actually truly optimally recover from its training. So we're actually, in a sense, stressing the body out with training and then stressing the body out with life. And you're never giving your body enough time for adequate recovery. So we just end up digging a very, very big hole. And once again, there's a couple options that come from that. You either run into injuries, your energy is going to tank, your hormones are going to tank, or like all these things will start to fall apart, right? And if you don't feel good in the process, you know, there's a, there's kind of a rule with sleep doctors that uh, I forget who says this, um, but basically you should wake up in the morning and you should be happy, horny, and hungry. These are kind of three easy vital signs that you can give your body to really know, cool, I feel like I'm in a pretty good place subjectively just based off those three signals. You know, and if you start to see these things drop, your sex drive drops, your energy drops, your your hunger like is all over the place, your happiness is kind of in flux. These are signs your body's obviously not in the right place, and you need to either take time off, manage stress better, put programs and protocols for you to be able to handle that type of stuff. Because the better your body can handle stress on a psychological and physiological side outside the gym, guess what? Same thing in the gym, right? And this is also you guys have heard me say this a lot in previous podcasts. My favorite type of mindset training is exercise because I know when I can push myself harder and I can talk that little voice in my head out and push myself past that threshold sometimes that it allows me to build a bigger capacity. But you also need to be smart with it, right? I think this is where I used to get in trouble personally when I was younger is I would say screw that because my ego would take over and like, screw that little bitch voice in my head. Like let's just keep pushing. Let's keep going. Um, and I am living proof that I beat my body up to a point of diminishing returns. I had a back injury. I had a knee injury. I've been sidelined from injuries multiple times in sports um, and that's just not listening to your body and that's being arrogant so it's much better for successful people to understand learn from others versus learn from your own self um, so when it comes to that you have to remember stress management is a huge piece because if you can learn to manage stress with everything else that you're doing it just makes the recovery part and allows your body to get into these parasympathetic states that much easier right number four is then going to be kind of in relationship to this, but obviously different is going to be sleep, right? And you've heard me say this a bunch of previous podcasts. So I'll try not to get too much in the weeds with this one. But when you look at sleep, obviously there's a quantity conversation and there's a quality conversation, right? When you look at quantity, yes, six to nine hours is going to be a good quota. We've all heard that. But when you look at quality, we also, this is why I love tracking sleep 
is we have to look at what stages of sleep am I getting, right? Um, if I were to give you kind of just four basic ones, there's obviously time where your body's awake. I'll give you an example. Last night wasn't the greatest. I think I had uh, 85, 86% efficiency, meaning if I had 10 hours of sleep, my body had eight and a half hours of actual sleep and an hour and a half of me being awake, right? If I was 10 hours laying in bed. So we look at efficiency, which is going to basically dictate how much time versus was in bed versus actually asleep. Then we're going to look at light stages, which you still get some obviously benefits from. Even if you have a lot of light, it's not the end of the world, but REM and deep are the restorative stages, right? This is where your glymphatic system and your brain and your memory consolidation, that happens in REM. Hormone restoration, HGH goes through the roof, all this kind of recovery protocol stuff that happens in your body, that happens in the deep stages of sleep. You know, when you look at deep stages, yeah, we want to be having anywhere from, you know, 20 to 30, you know, 15 to 35% of our sleep being in that stage. And REM is almost like 25 to 45, even 50 sometimes. So we want those quality stages of sleep to be up, right? So that's like, you know, once again, try not to get too much into talking about sleep here, is cutting light out, having a food curfew, managing stress, shutting the lights off at a certain time, wearing your blue blockers, unwinding some of yourself from stimulus, not working all night, you know, doing things that allow your body to have the three or four hours before you actually get into bed to be very, very down regulating um, to allow your body to get into those stages of sleep because the things that trash it the most are eating late, caffeine's late, alcohol, watching screens or being on the screens between phone and laptops, um, you know, watching a scary movie, which is just very kind of, in a sense, sympathetic and kind of high drive. You know, you want to pay attention to all those nighttime protocols because the better quality sleep we can get, if you can become really efficient with sleep, think about it this way. This is, I mean, this is kind of, you know, Mr. Efficient himself trying to think about this. I'd much rather sleep six hours a night and have really good quality stages of sleep being hit versus being in bed for eight or nine or 10 hours a day and getting the same amount. Because think about that. It's like if I can save myself an extra two hours a day by improving the quality, by doing all the due diligence I need, I get 14 hours every single week back. 14 hours to do something else, right? And that's a fucking lot of time, right? So like the efficiency behind what we do is really important. But in order for us to become efficient, you have to do the work, right? And that's obviously the hard part because, you know, cutting out alcohol for me, it's a hard part, right? Limiting caffeine for people or not eating late or not being on a TV or a screen all night or not wearing a blue blocker, like whatever it is, that takes a lot of stuff. So we've gone over warm up, cool down. We've gone over smart intentionality behind programming and deload phases and making sure your body's kind of has built-in recovery and really smart training. We've talked about stress management. We talked about sleep. Number five is we're going to talk about malnourishment. This is a big one for people that train a lot. There's actually a lot of athletes, unfortunately, under eating calories. But for most people that we tend to work with, um, I would say people are overeating and malnourished. So even though they're overeating on calories, they're under eating on nutrients, right? So when you look at nourishment, we have to think about things like for any, from the bottom of the totem pole being water, right? Like, are you getting enough hydration? Are you getting enough electrolytes? Are you getting enough minerals? Are you getting enough of the vitamins? Are you getting enough of the protein, the carbs, and the fats? Are you getting enough calories? And remembering that food, yes, is energy, but it is more importantly, it's information for your body. So you can actually be overeating and malnourished still, right? 
then there's also a bucket of people that just actually are not eating enough, right? And their metabolism is tanked and their thyroid is tanked and the hormones are tanked and their body is no longer efficient and their mood changes, their energy drops, their sex drive drops, the recovery sucks, they're injured. Um, you know, we see this with a lot of athletes, right? There's a lot of times there's the famous story of an athlete going out the night before at a nightclub and then the following day in practice tearing something or pulling something. That's the definition of your body being dehydrated from partying the night before or not getting the adequate sleep or whatever it is. You have to remember that obviously your body is very holistic and how you treat it is how everything else in itself works, right? So when we think about malnourishment, you know, one of the things that I always like to, you know, there's a, our client, Kurt, if he's listening to this, shout out to him. You know, the, the whole idea that, uh, I forget her name now, but talking about protein and produce, right? One of the things you guys hear me say all the time is really focus on fiber in a sense being produce, but focus on foods that come from planet Earth. If they need sun and water to grow, aka vegetables and fruits, start there. B, if it's walk, flown, or swam before, start there, right? Using, you know, food is local to the source and in geography with where you live and seasonal um, and high quality stuff, right? So I am a fan of the organic, the grass fed, the pasture phrase, the wild caught, all that good stuff. Um, and if you start with those foods for the majority of what you're eating and you focus on good hearty meals that are diverse in itself, most of the time you can get the nutrients that you need, right? So really understand that the bigger the expenditure is on the training side, the bigger the demand is for nutrients and energy and calories and water and recovery and sleep and stress, like all the stuff that I'm talking about, that raises too, right? So as your training lowers, then yeah, you can get away with doing a little less on that side. But like, you know, the the goal is like, how hard can we push ourselves? But more importantly, like how little can I actually do to get the result that I want? And that comes from being very, very efficient. And in order for your training and your injury prevention to become very, very efficient, that recovery protocol needs to be through the roof, right? Um, and I feel like I'm missing one because I have six. Um, this is why I should have been prepared. But whatever. I'm trying to think about missing anything here. So just to kind of recap for you guys, I think that's long enough anyways. And you guys probably get enough from that as well. Really look at warm up and cool down, your training being as smart as possible, making sure you're programming and recovery phases and really making sure that you're loading and your intensity and volume throughout the training week is structured in a very smart way. Focusing on managing your stress outside of the gym because that allows for your body to recover. Focus on, you know, sleep management because this is where your body gets most of its recovery done. And then the last thing is you have to look at nourishment, right? Oh, I remembered it. I remembered it. It's a sedentary lifestyle outside of the gym. So I kind of touched on this earlier. So this kind of comes in the movement bucket, right? When you think about exercise, you have to remember that your movement is going to be actually in itself very restorative. So prime example, if I, you know, and I, not to throw my girlfriend on blast here, but the only time I was actually home all day when she was working all day is I saw her wake up at seven o'clock, make her coffee, work from 12 to one. She works very hard. So she sits behind a desk though for her job, got up rode the Peloton for 30 minutes, which AKA sits down more often, got out of the Peloton, probably didn't stretch. And then went straight back down to her chair. So for 12 hours, she went from chair to Peloton chair to back to chair, right? This is a recipe to become very immobile, um, become unstable, create imbalances and asymmetries over time, eventually maybe lead to injuries, but more importantly, just not feeling good. Your lymphatic system is basically this, you know, recycling system in a sense that your body has. It doesn't have a pump like a heart does for the cardiovascular system. What does it do? Well, it requires movement. And when it has movement, it does its job of getting these toxic cellular waste out of the body. 
right? And that's the whole point of the lymphatic system, right? So a lot of times your cardiovascular system is kind of, even though it has a heart that's pumping, how do we get the heart to become stronger? Well, just like a muscle, challenge it, get the heart rate to come up. Focusing on movement throughout the day is one of the best recipes to avoiding injuries and feeling phenomenal, right? So that was the last thing. I don't know why I forgot that one. But um, so be just like avoiding the sedentary lifestyle as much as possible by taking calls and walking, going down on one knee or standing or kind of moving around as much as you can throughout the day, walking the dog, eating after your meals. These are small little things that you can do inside of your kind of day-to-day stuff that really, really help with recovery. Because at the end of the day, the best remedy for sore legs is a light, brisk walk. Like just moving them because that's how your body actually gets rid of some of these things and how it gets things flowing again. And that's exactly what we want for your human body. So I'm glad I remember that before I looked like an idiot there. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's all I want to talk about today. I'm sure I talked plenty long enough. Uh, as usual, have a great weekend if you're listening to this today on Friday. Um, if not, I will see you guys next week and have a good day. Talk to you soon.